0: Danielle Steele writes them. Harlequin publishes them. Millions of American women read them. They're called romance novels. But sadly, browse this genre of literature and you'll find that most selections are racy and risque. Go to the local grocery store and look at the bookshelves and you'll get the impression that romance is always raunchy. But that's not true of all romance novels. The budding love between a man and a woman, the rendezvous, the dialogue, their growing intimacy, it should be wholesome and uplifting. Romance can carry spiritual, not just sexual overtones. There is such a thing as righteous romance, and that's what we find in the book of Ruth. Ruth is a romance novel written by God and ultimately about God. It's based on the true story of a man and woman who overcome improbable odds to meet and eventually marry. The story features drama and suspense and passion and lots of romance. The plot twists and turns and keeps you on the edge of your seat until the outcome is finally settled. God deserves a Pulitzer for the story of Boaz and Ruth. Think of Ruth as a biblical Cinderella. And Boaz... As a prince charming. Their unlikely romance occurs in the barley fields outside Bethlehem. Ruth, remember, was a Moabite maiden. An outcast in Israel. And in keeping with this Cinderella thought, Ruth was the younger daughter in a nation full of mean older sisters. She was mistreated and frowned upon by her Hebrew neighbors. Much the same way that the older sisters treated the younger Cinderella. Yet when this little sister goes to the ball... Or out to glean the grain in the fields. She catches the eye of a prince. Boaz was a barley baron. He was this big land owner. He was handsome and strong and wealthy. And drum roll please. He was single. Yep. Eligible. Boaz sweeps Ruth off her feet. He takes her to dinner. He overwhelms her with privilege and provision and protection. Boaz was quite a beau, and this was quite a romance. Of course, the big difference between the story of Cinderella and the book of Roma, Ruth is that Ruth is no fairy tale. No pumpkins turned to carriages here. To the contrary, this story is set in the rough and tumble of real life. And the miraculous circumstances that unfold. Or orchestrated not by a fairy godmother, but by God the Father. God's providence, His amazing providence is on display in the book of Ruth. Well, like I said, last week we left off in verse 18 of chapter 2. We pick up the story in verse 19. Ruth arrives home after meeting Boaz. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today? Now, gleaning was God's welfare system. During the harvest, rather than scrape a field bare, Israeli farmers were limited to a single pass. A bit of barley was left behind for the poor. The labor pool would go out, enter the field, they'd collect the leftovers. It wasn't really a handout, it was honest labor. God knew that a handout humiliates, whereas work ennobles a person. Well, Ruth had come home with the mother load. She had bundles of barley. According to chapter 2, verse 3, Ruth hit the jackpot because she just so happened to stumble into Boaz's field. The beautiful Moabite maiden, she caught his eye. Boaz wanted to impress her. He favored Ruth. He ordered his servants to drop little handfuls of barley in her path just to make her gleaning a little bit easier. Naomi could see that somebody liked Ruth. Look at all the barley. And that's why she asked, where have you gleaned today? And this is a great question for you and I. Where have you gleaned this week? For all of us are gleaners at heart. We're all spiritual gleaners. Hey, whittle away the trappings of our life. The amusements and the preoccupations and the games that we play. Get yourself down to the core of who you are. And you're really just a Ruth. You're hungry and poor. Your soul is empty. Your spirit is growling. And you're busy gleaning. This is what we do in life. We're always looking and combing and hoping and groping and collecting and gathering in hopes that we'll find what will satisfy our deepest longings. Hey, you may think of yourself as some high-powered businessman or some sophisticated socialite, but at the core of who you are, minus your pride and your sophistication, you're nothing more than a beggar or a bag lady. You're a dumpster diver, and I am too. We're combing through life, going through the field, looking for a scrap or two that'll satisfy our soul. Ever had a sugar buzz? I mean, you were famished, you needed some meat and potatoes, but instead you just sucked on a piece of candy. You ever done that? Your body's hungry because it needs nutrients and protein, but the sugar masks those needs. And for a brief time, the sugar makes the hunger pangs go away. This is what happens when the human heart sucks on crack or meth or porn or cars or food or Wii games or Fantasy football, or stock trading, or online poker, or shopping sprees, or business breakthroughs, or big money deals. It's all just a sugar buzz. It masks the soul starvation from which we truly suffer. So, where have you been gleaning today? Have you been wandering through the fields of accomplishment, or accumulation, or amusement? Or have you been gleaning in Jesus' field? Jesus calls himself the bread of life. He alone has the nutrients that your soul needs. Everything else in life is a sugar buzz. Only Jesus satisfies our soul. As he told the woman at the well, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Hey, make sure you're gleaning in Jesus' field. And then Naomi asks Ruth, And where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. Naomi was impressed by this abundance of barley that Ruth had brought home. Obviously, someone had shown her favor. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And that was all that Naomi needed to hear. Boaz could have just as well been the word, Bingo! Bingo! (laughs) then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead and Naomi said to her this man is a relation of ours one of our close relatives now Naomi knows if Ruthie plays her cards just right she might just have a use for that wedding gown that's been stored under the bed Boaz has a relative, a man with an obligation. He was in line to marry Ruth. Boaz was what the Hebrews called a goel, or a relative redeemer. You see, in Hebrew culture, there were obligations among siblings. A person's nearest relative had specific duties. If a brother lost his land, Another brother, a goel, could go and redeem that land and buy it back. If a brother fell into slavery, the goel could purchase his freedom. If your relative was murdered, who needs the police? The brother, the goel, could hunt down the killer and avenge his brother's death. And as we've mentioned before, if a man died, his brother or his closest kin was obligated to marry the widow and sire a son to carry on the family name. These were all the duties of the Goel. And Naomi knows Boaz is the man. And as if this news was not enough, verse 21, Ruth the is said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. He had been concerned about her protection. In fact, she, he had shown a romantic interest in Ruth. He might just want to marry her. And not only out of obligation, but perhaps because he loved her. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Now, if Naomi is correct, there's a wedding on the horizon. But at the moment, Boaz has his hands full. It's harvest time. Man, this guy's got a lot of work to do. He needs to get the grain in the barn before the first frost. It's not the right time for the nuptials. Ruth is going to have to wait. And Naomi tells her daughter-in-law to stay in Boaz's fields, help him with the harvest, hang out with his workers, be content to glean from the crop, have some faith and patience. And isn't that what God is asking of us today? A little faith and patience. Hey, Hey, this just isn't a romance novel about some ancient couple and It's an agrarian society somewhere in a faraway town called Bethlehem. This story is amazingly relevant. For Ruth is the type of a church. The church, the Gentile bride. We happen to be in a field owned by Jesus. He loves us. He's poured out His blessings upon us. Our responsibility is to stay put. God expects us to feed our souls on what comes from His hand. We're to glean only from His fields. This is faith. Put all your hope in Jesus. Trust him exclusively. And Boaz is our Jesus, is he not? There is a wedding in the air for you and me, but today Jesus is supervising a great harvest of souls and we should be helping him. It's only when the harvest is done, then Jesus returns and the wedding party starts for us. Well, chapter 3 sort of fast forwards now a few weeks. Naomi knows that the end of the harvest is near. Ruth's gleaning was a temp job. Wasn't meant to be forever. After the harvest, Boaz is going to forget about his barley fields. And Naomi doesn't want him to get away. She's a good mother-in-law. She's got her sights set on a husband for her daughter. And she senses it might be time for Ruth to make a move. In fact... In every love relationship, there always comes time to take a risk. To make a move. To step out and show some initiative. Hey, the guy who dates a girl for 10 years, he's just afraid to take a risk. That's his problem. I think back to the day that Kathy agreed to marry me. Wow, was she a brave woman. Wow. She was taking a huge risk. I had no job at the time, no money, no 401k, no inklings of success. Now I was dashingly handsome. (laughs) But I was a risk with a capital R. Marrying me was as safe as jumping off a bridge on a frayed bungee cord. That's what it was. But she heard God say jump and the girl was willing to jump. You know, there comes a time when romance gets risky. And Naomi proposes a dangerous move here in chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? Now the only security for a young woman in Ruth's world was marriage. And matchmaker Naomi... She's about to go to work. There's even a goel goel in play. Boaz is her prime target. Hey, she's got the old boy in her crosshairs now. She's even done her research. Notice, she says, in fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing. I even know where he lives. The threshing floor was a large outdoor pavilion where the last stage of the harvest took place. This sort of marked the climax of the growing season and the workers would stay there all night in order to protect their finished grain. This is an ideal time and place for Ruth to seize an opportunity. Now here's Naomi's plan. She tells Ruth, Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Baby, we've got to get you a bath she suggests that Ruth take a little bubble bath and then splash on some sweet perfume. I mean, Boaz is a Jewish gentleman. He'll love a whiff of that Hallel number five. And then put on your best garment. Ruth needs to see her put on that cute little peasant dress she's been saving. Now remember, the only time Boaz has ever seen Ruth is when she's been out in the field, when she's been dirty and skanky and stinky. Naomi wants Ruth to doll up a bit now. Let Boaz see what he's been missing. And then go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Now, Now here's some good advice for those of you that are single. For the single women in the crowd today, I've got some good advice for you if you'd like to have a husband. First, whatever you do, don't play The desperate woman in panic mode. Don't don't do that. The last thing you want to do is throw yourself at the guy. Don't act anxious. Just be cool. It's been said, some single women are like baseball players, always trying to turn a single into a double. It's okay to, to desire to get married. That's a good thing. You can even say so, but you'll scare that guy off if you try to manipulate him or control him. Second thing, young ladies, when it comes to getting married, make sure that you take your advice from a woman who's already married. Single girls, they love to get together with their little single friends and talk about what they should do. Has it ever dawned on you there might be a reason your other friends are single? (laughs) Ladies, listen to a woman who has a man. A happy man, by the way. And, and a woman who's had him for a while. That's a good sign. Get advice from a woman who understands men. I mean, Naomi had had a husband. She had two sons. She gets men. Ruth listened to Naomi. This echoes Paul's advice to Titus. The older women should teach the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, etc. Well, third, don't smother a man with your own insecurities. A woman can do that. The romance of Boaz and Ruth, it got off to a red-hot start. I mean, it might even have been love at first sight. Boaz just poured out blessing upon blessing on Ruth. He lavished her with his love. But after that initial burst, the relationship seemed to fizzle. At least it did in Ruth's eyes. Apparently, Boaz got distracted with business and barley. In, In other words, there was no second date. And Ruth started wondering if he'd forgotten her. She started, are we just friends? Didn't he have feelings for me? And she's anxious to have this heart-to-heart talk with Boaz. Yet Naomi, she knows men. She knows that the worst move that Ruth can make is just to rush him with her insecurities. Hey, she needs to just let him eat and drink. He's worked hard. Let the old boy relax. Wait until he gets a good meal on his stomach and something to wash it down. Let him watch a little football first. And then after he decompresses, then you can approach him, Ruth. Ladies, never bombard a man the instant he walks through the door. Let him recover from his day before you tell him about yours. Now, here was Naomi's advice in a nutshell. Don't throw yourself at a man, but there does come a time when you might need to get in his way. (laughs) You got to show yourself at just the right time. Here's the problem men are dumb. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Men are real dumb. You know, ladies, when you meet a man for the first time and you walk away from that boy-girl encounter, you know, here's what you're thinking. Does he like me? Does he think I'm cute? Was my perfume too strong? Oh, why did I say that stupid statement? Is he ever going to call me? Those are the things that are going through your mind, ladies. You know what's going through his mind? I think I'm going to get a pizza when I get home. <laughs> That's it. That's what's going through his mind. Where did I leave my keys? You see, some guys just miss the obvious. They need a wife. There's a good woman. She can make a good wife. Wa- they miss that. That's why you have to get in their way, ladies. And this can get real Risky. Listen to the rest of Naomi's advice. Then it shall be when he lies down, that you shall notice the place where he lies. And you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down. And he will tell you what you should do. That doesn't just sound risky. That sounds downright reckless. Reckless. I'm not, telling my, I'm not giving my daughter that kind of advice. <laughs> in fact, Hosea chapter 9 verse 1 implies that the only women who frequented these threshing floors were the prostitutes. The male field hands, they had just celebrated the end of the harvest. They were all probably drunk. They drank too much. They had money in their pockets. This was a business opportunity for Bethlehem's brothels. I mean, why would a noble young lady like Ruth, known for her character and integrity and morality, risk her reputation to approach a man after dark at the threshing floor? Well, here's my take on this passage. I don't think for a second that either Naomi or Ruth had anything promiscuous or immoral in mind. This was not Ruth the she-devil out to seduce Boaz. But there are times when love takes a risk. You know, in war and romance, you have to take risks. War and romance are risky ventures. If you're going to advance, there are times when you have to step out from behind your shield and become vulnerable and expose yourself and reveal your heart and risk being rejected. Your love for the other person has to exceed your fear of getting hurt. Hey, it's risky to get married. And pledge loyalty for life to another person. That's risky. In fact, turn to the person next to you this morning and say, "High risk. Your spouse was a risk. Still might be a risk. It's risky having kids. Did you know that? Cute little babies, they grow up and they smart off. And then they go do their own thing. It's risky starting a business. There's so many factors you don't control. Did you know it's even risky serving the Lord? I mean, a missionary gets malaria. A pastor gets fired for speaking the truth. You help a guy and he steals from you. Here's the truth. All of life is a risk. Everything worth doing is risky business. I've checked the labels. Life comes with very few guarantees. And there's no such thing as a risk-free relationship. Life is unpredictable. And people who always play it safe and are scared to take a risk, they seldom accomplish much or live large. And some even miss out on love. You can be so fearful of a wreck that you refuse to drive. If you want to live deep and make a difference in life and leave behind a big footprint, there are times when you've got to crawl out on that limb. I read recently about some senior citizens in Naperville, Illinois. They gather twice a week to play softball. And it's risky business for the folks who dare to play. Not only have some of the senior citizens risked sprains and bruises and breaks, but a few of the elderly softball players have actually had heart attacks out on the field. One of the players was asked why he takes such a risk. And This is what he says. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die doing what I love doing. Whether it's playing softball, fishing, hunting, or something else. Hey, when you are so afraid of dying that you stop living, you might as well be dead. Life is full of risks. If you're living forever, waiting on perfect seas in order to set sail you might as well stay docked in the harbor. You're going to stay docked forever. Ultimately, there comes a time when you've got to trust the winds of God's providence and you've got to set sail. Now granted, Naomi's instructions to Ruth were a calculated risk. She knew Boaz. Both her and Ruth had confidence in his integrity and and in his morality. In fact, by the bounty that Ruth had received from Boaz, it was proof that he loved her. Naomi's plan was a measured risk, but it was a risk nonetheless. Apparently, Boaz had concluded that he didn't really deserve a girl like Ruth. He was older, she was younger, he was a stuffy, boring businessman, she was this beautiful gazelle. Boaz always felt like a bozo around Ruth. He figured, she's just out of my league. No way will a girl like Ruth love a man like Boaz. But Naomi knows, and it's time for Ruth to take a risk. She needs to pay him a visit and set him straight. And Ruth was willing. She said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. Verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. Now again, the threshing floor was this place where the barley was separated from the stalks and the husks. The work was done in the evening when the Mediterranean winds blew in from the west. The barley was tossed up into the air and the wind would separate it from the husks, or it would get ground up under the hooves of the oxen. In fact, if a few grains blew away, you, you would often hear one of the workers cry out Ah shucks. Get it? Ah <laughs> shucks. Just threw that in there. (laughs) Well, it's evening time. It's getting dark. And Ruth slips in undetected. And she stands off in the shadows until Boaz sort of gets settled in for the night. Verse 7. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Now, this guy had worked all season. He'd worked hard. Now his stomach is full. He's had a few glasses of wine maybe. He picks out a nice spot. He unrolls his his little blanket. And Ruth came softly, uncovered his feet and lay down. She just sort of peeled the covers back just enough to expose his toes to the cold night air. She's just going to let the cold tickle his toes so that he'd wake up. And it happened at midnight that the man was startled. Apparently it worked. Have you ever been startled in the middle of the night? You wake up, you're disoriented, you don't know where you are, or which way's up, or who's with you? And, And he turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? And so she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. And I love this. She doesn't beat around the bush with small talk. I mean, Ruth just cuts right to the chase. She says, take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. In essence, Ruth is saying, Boaz, you really need to marry me. Even today in the Middle East cultures, when a man throws his robe or his shawl over a woman or takes her under his wing, it's a marriage proposal. It's the equivalent of us putting a ring on a woman's finger. Ruth is asking Boaz to do his duty. He is her relative redeemer. And yet, no matter how you slice this, this is a bold move, isn't it? Wow. It took nerve for a Middle Eastern woman to approach a man with a mandate for marriage. The universal custom, even to this day, is for the man to propose to the woman, not vice versa. This is bold and brash. For any culture, in any era, this was outside everyone's comfort zone. Ruth was taken a risk. And I think it indicated just how much Ruthie desired to marry Boaz. Hey, certainly this is all in keeping with the spiritual allegory portrayed in this book. Ruth is the church. Boaz is like Jesus. He's Lord of the harvest. Oh, when they first met, Boaz showered Ruth with barley and blessing. She was overwhelmed by him. But gradually, his barley no longer satisfied Ruth. She was no longer content with his blessing. She wanted Boaz himself. She wanted to be more than his servant. She wanted to be his bride. She had found sufficiency in his fields, but now she longs for intimacy in her heart. The grain is no longer enough. She's now hungry for the guy. And this is the progression that should occur in your Christian life and in my Christian life. For we all start out like Ruth. We start out a gleaner. Oh, we comb the fields and we scrape the stalks for God's blessing. But over time, we realize that blessings come and go with the changing seasons. The real source of our joy is the one who blesses. I love the lyrics by A.B. Simpson. Once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling, now it is his word. Once his gift I wanted, now the giver own. Once I sought for healing, now himself alone. All in all forever, only Christ I'll sing. Everything in Christ, in Christ is everything. You know, the gifts of Jesus are only intended to whet our appetite for a deeper fellowship with the author of those blessings. Our goal should be God himself. This is what Ruth is saying to Boaz. I just don't want your barley without you. Rather than tokens of your love, I want to live with my lover. Boaz, rather than a place at your table, I want to wake up in your arms every morning as your wife. This is real love. My, Kathy could shower me with these lavish gifts. All the gifts I'd ever want. Master's tickets, Red Rock ginger ale, new golf clubs, and one of those fancy little iPads. But you know, I wouldn't be satisfied with a zillion gifts if I couldn't have her. Please tell her I said that. (laughs) And it's not only possible, my friend, but it's expected that you get that way with God. This is what Thomas Kempis meant when he prayed. It is too small and unsatisfactory whatever you bestow on me apart from yourself. God's blessings are just a foreshadowing of His presence and His glory. Psalm 42 expresses the sentiment as the deer pants for the water brooks. So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. After being a Christian for 30 years, Paul said his goal was to know Him. Not his blessing, not his wisdom, not his wealth, but him. It's interesting, Boaz will have a lot to sort out in order to fulfill Ruth's request. Boaz will do all the work himself, but it was Ruth who had to ask. And the same is true in your salvation. Jesus does everything but the asking. If you want to know God, my friend... If you want to really know the God who created you in your heart. You have to take a risk. You have to move outside your comfort zone. This morning we're going to give you an opportunity. But you have to be willing to humble yourself. And bow at his feet just like Ruth did. And submit your life and will and heart to him. And be willing to do whatever he tells you to do. If you come to Jesus with that attitude. And ask him to redeem you. He'll do just that. Romans 10 verse 13 tells us, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, verse 10 tells us, then Boaz said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. He couldn't have been more elated. Boaz dreamed of marrying Ruth, but he didn't think it possible. He thought she'd go after some young man, but she didn't. You see, there were all kinds of shortcuts that Ruth could have taken. But she was committed to doing her life God's way. Are you devoted to the will of God for your life? You see, originally Naomi told Ruth that her best chance for remarriage was to stay in Moab. Back with her own people, her own false gods. Yet Ruth chose to follow Naomi's God, despite her slim odds. She wanted to know the one true God. When she arrived in Bethlehem, she could have run off after Some other younger man, she could have taken another shortcut. Instead, she waited on her relative, Redeemer. And even when he drug his feet, she waited. She trusted in God's way. Ruth reminds me of Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God in His righteousness, and all these other things shall be added to you. Here's another lesson for singles. Don't turn marriage into an idol. I've seen single people put a desire to be married above all other concerns, even God's will. They'll marry a non-Christian. They'll have sex with a guy hoping that he'll marry her. They'll compromise their relationship with God to cultivate and please their partner. Trust me, this all backfires. You can get burned. Ruth valued her relationship with God above every other relationship in her life. Even above the opportunity to get married, Ruth did romance God's way, waited on God's time, and ended up with God's best. Well, Boaz continues answering her in verse 11. He says, and now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Oh, I definitely want to marry you, Ruth. But there's one catch. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. And with those shocking words, little Ruth's heart, it started fluttering. She missed a beat or two, trust me. She had no idea. There's another relative redeemer who has first dibs? This is why Boaz was dragging his feet. As I've often said... I've never been to a wedding that went off without a hitch. This throws a whole new wrinkle in this story. There's a hitch. Boaz tells Ruth, Stay this night and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good. Let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you. And I'll be happy to do it, I bet he says. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. And notice Ruth doesn't balk. She doesn't get upset. She's done things God's way from the very beginning. Why is she going to cut corners now? Again, you can never go wrong doing life God's way. If God is in it, He'll work it out. If not, it's better to know now. And so she lay at His feet until morning. And she arose before one could recognize another. Before daybreak. And then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. What the town gossips would do with this if they knew that Ruth had gone in the middle of the night and spent the night there at the threshing floor. Boaz is concerned about her reputation. Hey men, pay attention. It's not just our responsibility to protect a woman's innocence. We need to guard even her reputation. If you respect a woman, you'll avoid situations that will cast a cloud of suspicion over her character. Well, verse 15, also he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. I mean, not having a box of chocolates at hand. Boaz loads her up with the best he's got. Six bushels of barley. That's 70 pounds. Ruth had to be a strong gal to carry that home. He wants there, though, to be no doubt about his commitment to her and to her mother-in-law. Bethlehem is about to host a big wedding. But first, there's some work to do. And Ruth is going to have to learn to trust her husband. But that's next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for the blessings, Lord, you've poured out upon us. But more than that, Lord, we thank you for yourself. You alone, Father, can satisfy our hearts. Lord, I'm thinking this morning that there could be someone here who doesn't know you. Who's never moved outside their comfort zone. and Bowed down at your feet. And asked to be forgiven. And set free and saved. Lord, I pray for that person this morning. Lord, I pray that today would be their day. That they would take a risk. That they would trust their lives to someone else. For Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus can satisfy, Jesus can take their empty life and he can fill it to the brim, he can fill it to overflowing if they'll just be willing, if they'll just ask. Lord, I pray you'll tug at some hearts even right now. And as our heads are bowed and while our eyes are closed, if you've never given your life to Jesus and you'd like to invite him into your heart today, I want you to stand right where you're at. I want you to stand up right where you're at. And together we're going to pray a prayer. Is there anybody here that would say, yes, I I want to take that risk. I want to give my life to Jesus today. It's really not a risk. He loves you so much. He has great plans for you. Is there anyone who just stand up right now for prayer? Anybody? Well, Father, we are all walking with you. Lord, we want to know more of you. Please fill our hearts to overflowing. Today and in the days ahead. We love you so much. Give us more of Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.